Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 13, reads like this. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We're going to be talking a lot about that today. Hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant, a deaconos, a deacon. A table server, that's what a deacon is. To the, to, the, to the circumcised, meaning the Jews, for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now uh, you ladies who have been in the uh, Bible study, the precept Bible study, the ladies Bible study, I think the last uh, Sunday, uh, rather the last teaching is this week, they're breaking for the summer. But you're doing a precept study, as I understand, and one of the methods of the precept study is to circle words that are the same words or the same kind of words. And that's a method of Bible study that you do because if the same kind of words appear over and over again in the same set of verses, the Holy Spirit's trying to tell us something, right? So I want you to take your pen... And I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to take your pen and your Bible, or pens, and I want you to circle, I want you to circle these words. They're all like-minded words. Uh, you, you, I'd like you to circle them in your Bible. And uh, at the same time, I'm going to be putting up on the projection screen. Question for you, uh, Jeff. I know that there's a delay uh, with, the, with the people watching 
from what I'm saying. If the folks in here have the live stream up on their phone, is, is the timing going to be roughly good for them to see us? Okay, so if everyone in the room, if you could go to the YouTube, Calvary Chapel in the City YouTube, um, actually, you, you don't have to underline it. You can if you want, but you can, uh, you can see these, um, these uh, rather than circling the words, you can do that too. But um, I want to circle these words, and if you go to the YouTube channel, CalvaryChapelInTheCity.com, uh, Jeff is going to be putting this on the screen so you're watching the same thing the people on the live screen are watching. So I want to circle in verse 4, the end of verse 4, hope. And then in verse 6, in the middle of that verse, is the verse glorify. In verse 9, again, the word glorify. And then also in verse 9, the word sing. Verse 10, I want you to circle the word rejoice. Verse 11, I want you to circle the word praise. And then again, praise or laud. It's, it's laud, which means it's not really a word we use anymore. Extol, or you can also say praise. Verse 12, I want you to circle the word hope, last word in the... Um, Last word in the, uh, in the verse there. And then in verse 13, I want you to circle the words hope, joy, peace, and hope. So if I can say them all quickly, in these 13 verses, what do we see? Hope, glorify, glorify, sing, rejoice, praise, praise, hope, hope, joy, peace, hope. That's what we see in those nine verses. So with that, I'm going to say this. That is what the first 14 chapters of the book of Romans, if they are understood and lived out, that's what they produce. Okay? So now I'm going to step back and I'm going to begin the same way that we have begun Ever since we started our study in uh, Romans 12 uh, up to this point. Ever since we started in Romans 12, verse 1, up to this point, up, uh, uh, point we've, we've started, I've started more or less like this in our study. That the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is about, is about what? Shout it out, someone, with your face mask. What, what's it about? It's about the who. That's right. I've been saying that ever since we began our study in Romans 12 um, um, going forth. It says about the who, who God is, and how he saved you. About who God is and how he saved you. That's what the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is about. Romans chapter 1. You know, this the, Romans chapters 1 through 16, they, they weren't done over a period of, uh, of a year and a half as we have done. They were read in one sitting. So from time to time, we need to go back and remember 
Romans chapters 1 and 11, that, that study about the who, who God is, and his great salvation of you. And, and if you remember in Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, we read in verses 18 and 19, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is obvious to them for God has shown it to them. That should be coming up on the projection screen. So here in this verse, God is telling you who he is. This is what happens. Romans chapter 1 through 11, he, he's telling you in these verses who he is. He is telling you that he is not a God who looks at ungodliness, meaning things that oppose God, who looks at wickedness and does not respond. No, he says it says he responds to, to wickedness with a response which is wrath which means anger. That's what we learn in, about who God is in verses 18 and 19. It's, 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 a little, it's sobering. It's even a little frightening. And that's not really a problem because um, the fright is going to turn into hope, as we've seen. So then it goes in verses 20, 20 and 21 of Romans chapter 1. It says... For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Again, there you have it. He is explaining who he is. Whole first 11 chapters of Romans, this is what it's like. But in these two verses, verses 21, he's explaining who he is, and he's explaining how great his salvation is of you. And here in these two verses, um, it, it, it mentions here that he's not a God who, he, he's not a God who uh, keeps himself in secret, who plays hide-and-go-seek. He's not a god like that. Well, I'm going to create the world, and I'm going to spin it on its axis, and then I'm going to leave it up to the world uh, best guess to find out who I am. That's not who what it says in Romans 1, verse 20. It says, since the beginning of the world up until now, he makes his invisible attributes to be clearly seen, his power, his love, his patience is clearly seen. That's who God is. He's not a God of hide-and-go-seek. He is a, who is God? First 11 chapters of Romans. He's a God who reveals himself. Uh, in, in addition to that, in these uh, uh, verses, we read about what we've been, what, why we are in need of salvation. So again, first 11 chapters, who God is. How, and his great salvation of you, and we can't understand how great his salvation is until we first understand why we need to be saved. Why does it say we need to be saved? Because in this verse, verses two verses, verses twenty and twenty-one, he says, even though he's made himself 
clearly known to us, what does it say? We are out excuse because though we, though we know God, we didn't glorify him, nor were we thankful, but we became futile in our thoughts and our foolish hearts become darkened. We did that against a holy God. Just think about that. Pause about it. This God who has made his invisible attributes clearly seen so that it is, verse 18 and 19, obvious to us. We have turned around and we don't glorify him for that love, for that power, for, for that patience, but we become futile in our thoughts and our hearts are darkened, verse 21 says. And what do we do with darkened hearts? We worship ourselves. That's what we do. And so, that's why that's a picture of who God is and why the wrath of God, the anger of God, a just God doesn't just sit there and, and, and uh, a, God, a just God just doesn't sit there and see injustice and let the, the victim go without justice. No, actually it proceeds from love. Justice actually proceeds from love. We'll see that um, um, later on. But now in Romans chapter 3, it explains how God saved you. It says in, in verse 25 of Romans 3, God set forth Jesus Christ as a propitiation by his blood. Meaning, he took all that wrath and anger on himself. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still enemies of God, if you combine verse 8 and verse 10 of Romans chapter 5, that's what you get. God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. So um, in, that, in that chapter, remember Romans 1 through 11, we're told who God is. Um, we're, also, we're told there that he's a God of love. In fact, way back when, in our study of the book of John, when we were discussing the wrath and justice of God, we talked about the fact that his justice is actually a manifestation of his love. It is, among other things, unloving for a just to deny justice to a victim of injustice. He is a God of love. And while we were yet enemies, he died for us. First 11 chapters of the book of, uh, of Romans who God is, and his great salvation of us, of you. God's great salvation of you. Now, ever since we started Romans chapter 12, which follows, of course, immediately those first 11 chapters about who God is and his great salvation of you, we focused on Romans 12.1. We've Again, more or less every sermon since with this verse, in view of God's mercy, in view of his great salvation of you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your true and proper worship. And so in light of God's great salvation, in light of 
knowing who He is, and after understanding who He is, this is what you do. First 11 chapters about the who. Last five chapters about the do. This is what you do. You offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Well, what does that mean? Well, again, what have we learned? It means first and foremost, someone shouted out with your face mask. What does it mean? Oh, come on. I'm going to wait till someone gets this. What, first, what, what stands out in Romans chapter 12? What one word or two words? Oh, man, you guys, you've been out of practice. What stands out? What one thing stands out as, as to what to do, what, we're, what God tells us to do, now that we understand who he is and how great his salvation is. No? That's right. Love. That's right. Loving others. What does it mean to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice? Holy and pleasing to God? What in the world does that mean? Offering your body as a living sacrifice. Well, it's explained. That's the rest of the book of Romans, more or less, explains that. It means to love others. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Meaning, it, 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 we learn in these chapters, loving not in an ordinary way that the world loves others. Jesus said, you love others who love you? That's what everyone does. That's not the love you've been called to. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Romans 12, 20. Romans 13, 10. In whatever you... In, in whatever way you love yourself, love others. Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Romans chapter 14, verse 21. Love your neighbor so intensely, so personally, so affectionately that you choose or that you might choose neither to eat nor drink wine nor eat anything or do anything which causes that neighbor to stumble or be offended, or to be made weak. Meaning you'll refrain from doing something that may cause your neighbor to be made weak or to stumble. That's the kind of love. That's the do. That's what stands out of what the do is, the do that we do once we understand the who. Romans 12 13 and 14 thus far. Okay. So, there's a slight shift. Romans uh, chapter 15 begins actually in a very similar way as the previous three chapters. Romans chapter 15 verse 1 says, uh, love your neighbor in such a way that you choose not to please yourself but to please your neighbor instead? Where do we find that in the world? We don't. But once you, once you understand who God is and what he's done for you is great salvation, that is how you love. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. That is what you do. It, 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 it says in that verse, Romans chapter 15, verse 1, love your neighbor in such a way that you choose not to please yourself, but to please him, your neighbor, instead. So, in Romans 
15 verses 4 through 13, there's a, there's a brief outburst before getting back into the same into the same subject, which is, now that you know the who, this is what you do. In Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 13, there's an outburst, there's a description of what is produced, of what is produced when you combined that, that understanding of who God is, and you combine that through living out a life of love. In other words, you, you're combining the knowledge, the understanding of the who with the do. This is what happens in your life. Romans 14, 15, verses, uh, verses 4 through 13. What happens? Hope, glorify, glorify, sing, rejoice, praise, praise, hope, hope, joy, peace, hope. That's what happens. That is what happens. When you combine a true understanding of who God is and how, his, how great his salvation is of you, what he has saved you from, this is what is produced. Hope, glorify, glorify, sing, rejoice, praise, praise, hope, hope, joy, peace, hope. That's what we see. It says in verse 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So, so all of a sudden it's describing here after... 14 chapters of the who and the do, it's, it, it's, it's, it's describing an affection, a feeling, an experience that happens once you combine the, the understanding of the who and the doing of the do. It says you have hope. And then in verse 6 it says, that you with one mind and one mouth glorify. In other words, you will begin to glorify. Glorify isn't, isn't something that is done which is just empty of any feeling or experience. Something has happened when you glorify. What does it mean to glorify? And we see it again in verse 9, that the Gentiles might glory, glorify God. We, we see it twice. What does it mean to glorify God? We talked a while back about what, um, it, what it means to glorify God. In order to understand um, that, we need to understand what God's glory means. What does that mean? We throw around that time. What does it mean to God's glory? Well, glorifying God is what happens to us when we look at at the glory of God, meaning some attribute of God or combination of attributes of God, glorifying God explains what happens to us when all of a sudden our eyes open up to that attribute of God. For example, the love of God. 
For example, the love of God. We look at the cross. We see the gore there. We see the ugliness there. We see a body with blood spattered all over it and all around the cross and, 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 and a tortured body. And, and we understand that it was our sin. It was us, though we knew who God was. We neither glorified or, or gave him thanks, but became futile in our thoughts. But it, it, that put him there, that he became a, a propitiation for us. And then what happens eventually as God draws us into that is we, we, we understand and we see the love of God and we glorify him, meaning, God, I can't believe it. You love me that much. That is, a, I'm stunned, God. Why did you love me that much? Why did you come down to heaven, the prince of priests, the prince of glory, and do that to yourself? Oh, how you love me. That's glorifying God. That is glorifying God. So what does it mean? What happens to us when you combine an understanding of who God is in his great salvation of you? And you combine it with a lifestyle of the do, loving each other in an extraordinary way that you'll never see in the world. What happens? Hope, verse 4, glorify, verse 6, glorify, verse 9, sing, verse 9, rejoice, verse 10, praise, verse 11, praise, verse 11, hope, verse 12, hope, verse 13, joy, verse 13, peace, verse 13, hope, verse 13. That's what happens. So now if you're circling these words, or, 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 or if you were in a, a precept study, I recommend those studies, by the way, to both Women and men, they're, they're, it's a different way. of. It's one of the ways you can study the Bible. You can go through those that method. But they, they circle the, the like words, the, the similar words. And so we've, we've done that this morning. And what is the word that appears the most? What is the experience? What is the feeling that is described, the word given for that uh, feeling, what, what is the word that appears more than any other word in those nine verses? Shout it out. Hope. Hope. So I want to talk about hope in our remaining, remaining time. What is hope? If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, hope is the expectation of future good and happiness. That's what hope is. Now, we say things like, I hope the Patriots win the Super Bowl this year, and I hope the Buccaneers lose every game this year. We say, we say things like that. But, 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 but that's, not what the word, that's not what the word means. You don't see the word used like that in the Bible. In fact... In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for hope, tikvah, is often translated expectation. If you crossed out the word hope every time you see it and put expectation, that would be okay to do because that is really closer to what we think, what the Bible 
what, what, what the Bible means, what the, the Holy Spirit meant when he put the word hope. When he, when he said, uh, uh, again, verse, verse 13, now may the God of hope, God is a God of hope, fill you with joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, the, it's an expectation. Expectation of what? It's an expectation of future good and happiness. Now, really, really, really important. In terms of what the Bible means by hope. And what we mean, we often say things we need to put our hope in God. Or we, we put our hope in something. What does that mean? Got to be really, really careful. Words are important. Jesus says, I, I didn't come to, to, to do away with one jot or tittle, meaning one little tiny word or accent in the Bible. When you put your hope in something, the way I have on the projection screen that I hope it's coming up on your word, if I put my hope in this thing, if I say I put my hope in this, what that means is my future good and happiness depends on this thing becoming a reality. That's really important for where we're going right now. Because again, we're so, you, you can be, you, your life can be destroyed by what you put your hope in. Or, or your life can, can become abounding with these feelings that we're describing uh, in verses 4 through 13. Hope, glorify, sing, rejoice, praise, joy and peace, and depending upon what you put your hope in. Again, I put my hope in this. What that means is my future good and happiness depends on this thing becoming a reality. So let me explain a little bit more. Or, or let, me, let, let me describe, you know, a good way of, of, of understanding um, what, what hope is and what happens with hope and what is happening with hope and, and, and things that people put their hope in today. There is a famine of hope in the United States today. The church, you are an oasis of hope in the midst of a vast wilderness of hopelessness. And this COVID crisis of the last three or four months has brought all of this to a head for purposes that God planned since the, before the foundation of the world. And he's raised you up for a time like this to be a man or woman of hope. There is a famine of hope in the United States right now. You just pull up the home page of a news service on the internet. You better be really careful how much time you spend there. I'm not telling you not to go there. But you, be, you, you better uh, be real careful how much time you spend there because, I mean, you will be sucked in to a black hole of hopelessness. Such is the political climate of hatred and dis distrust right now in the United States of America. Two sides not even talking to one another. No such thing as a, a dialogue. All they're doing is trading vi vicious, vindictive names. A black hole of hopelessness. We're in a famine of hope. Money. Travel. Future pleasure. Reputation. 
promotion in the world, recognition from the world, a bigger ministry, a comfortable retirement, a family. You've put your hope in family. You've put your hope in health. You've, you, you have a, you've put your hope in world peace. You've put your hope in world prosperity. What's the problem with every single one of those? They can fall apart in five minutes. I, 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 I'm not going to list out how, but there's, there's certain of those things, um, I, I've put my hope in in the past, and, and within minutes, it was shattered, gone. Now pause, very important. Very important. Doesn't mean that it's wrong to desire those things. There's something wrong with you if you don't. I mean, if you're not desiring world peace or, or, or future pleasure or, 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 or even money, or, 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 or if you're not desiring at the time where you have a, a, a reputation, a godly reputation, or if you're, uh, if, there's nothing wrong with desiring family or health. N not at all. The, the, the question is, are you putting your hope in them? And that's where we go back to that definition we put on the, uh, the, the, the projection screen. I put my hope in this means I'm, my future good and happiness depends on this becoming a reality. So if I put my hope in money, travel, future pleasure, reputation, promotion in the world, recognition from the world, a bigger ministry, a comfortable retirement, family, health, world peace, world prosperity, all those may be shattered in a moment. Again, I put my hope in this equals my future good and happiness depends on this thing becoming a reality. However, when your future, when your hope is put in God, when your hope is put in God, again, verse 12 says, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, speaking of Jesus Christ, and he, the Messiah, who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles, the nations, the Gentiles means the nations, shall put their hope. You put your hope in that. You, you put your hope in that. And that cannot be shattered. Remember, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. What did it say? It says, since the beginning of the world, his in invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and his Godhead, so that uh, it, those are in invisible attributes, his love, his mercy, his grace, his power, his beauty, his holiness. Those things will never be shattered. So, so fill, 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 fill the word God into that word this. I put my hope in this. I put my hope in God means I'm my future good and happiness depends on God being and becoming a reality. Sanctification, growing in God, is just that. God is becoming, he is a reality because he is who he is. He's love, he's power, he's patience. But when you put your hope in God, as you continue seeking the Lord, he becomes more and more and more of a, of a, of a reality of who he is, his invisible um, attributes, love, mercy, faithfulness. They become real. 
I think of just where we have been in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. As, as the years go by, that has become more and more of a reality because I see it just becoming true. I see the truth of God and who he is, that he will work um, all things together for your good. It just becomes a reality. It becomes true. Your hope. You start abounding in hope. You start rejoicing in hope. And Romans 8.29 says, Whom he foreknew, and that means you. Whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. As we, as we go from year to year, and we're being transformed into the image of his son, the reality of the Word of God, of who God is, becomes more and more true. The reality is God is becoming, and the truth of His Word is becoming a reality. Everyone with me? Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Our hope abounds more and more and more as we see that becoming a reality that it's true. He who did not spare his own son, but delivers him up for us all, he freely gives me all things, God and his word, becoming a reality in my life again. I put my hope in God. My future good and happiness depends on God, who he is, and, and who he is becoming a reality to me. That's what happens. So again, back to Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 13, when you combine understanding who God is with the do, I mean rather the who, with the do, loving the way he's called you to love, what happens? Hope, glorify, glorify, sing, rejoice, praise, praise, hope, hope, joy, peace, hope. That's what happens. And so this brief outburst, here in verses 4 through 13 in these chapters about the do. So uh, Romans 12 through uh, uh, Romans 12 through Romans 15 verses 1 through 3, all about the do. But then you have this outburst of what happens when you when you do that, you combine the understanding of who God is and you do what He's called you to do. There's this joy, there, there's this joy, this praising, this glorifying, this hope that happens in your life. And so I'm going to conclude with, with verse 13. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So if if your hope, if you n notice here what produces the, the, the abounding of the hope, it's believing. Now may the God of hope fill you with a joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. So, so brother, sister, Christian, 
if you've come to the place where you know all things work together for good, if you believe that, you didn't just stir that up. That came by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you've come to the place in your, in, in your life where you, you realize this promise in Romans 8, 29 that God is conforming you into the image of his son and you've seen grope, and, you, and, and you, have, you believe that he's going to continue to do that, you didn't just create that belief. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look at Romans 8.32, which says, God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Uh, again, and you believe that. You actually believe that. You can't force yourself into believing something. It's the Holy Spirit that made you believe that. And then in Romans 8.35, where it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, sword? If, you're, if you believe that, yes, I do believe that. Whatever danger, persecution, distress I walk into, I believe that that's not going to separate me from the love of God. You didn't just create that thing. The Holy Spirit produced that in you. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord. Believing in you, that when your word says that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope, you do that very thing. Oh God, fill us with the Holy Spirit. We pray for a work of the Holy Spirit. I pray for anyone listening today. Lord, anyone listening, and, and, and they hear this list that we have, that I've, I, I've talked about, hope, glorify, glorify, sing, rejoice, praise, praise, hope, hope, joy, peace, hope, and, and they hear that and they say, that's not in me. Father, bring them back to Romans 1 through 11, that they would understand you. that they would understand the who, how you're, who you are and your great salvation of them. And that you would bring them to Romans 12 through 14, the beauty of the life of the do once we know the who. But Father, we pray, Lord, for a move of the Holy Spirit in these prayer groups right now that by your spirit we would intercede and call out to you for a move of the Holy Spirit that we would abound in hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.